You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning and welcome to the Business Hour. Today's business at hand is the business of cultivating culinary skills and hospitality skills, then sharing those skills by training people, especially people who are often disenfranchised or forgotten, to develop culinary and hospitality skills that make them employable and thereby their lives are changed for the better. And that's exactly what Chef Alex Riedhoff does. And we're going to talk about how he does it. Welcome to the Business Hour, Chef Riedhoff. Thank you, Ron. It's an honor. Uh, well, that remains to be seen. But uh, thank you for <laughs> saying that. Uh, I want to start off by going <clears throat> way back. And I oftentimes will talk more about an organization or what a person is doing um, today and then work my way back. But I want to start off uh, by uh, going back to when the earliest seeds uh, were planted that led you to cooking because it's cooking that you've leveraged uh, a, 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 on a grand scale in, in the context uh, of uh, your various enterprises. But what led you to cooking and when did you first get exposed to it in a way that you were either uh, forced to cook or inspired to cook or whatever it was that, uh, that led you to hands-on on cooking? Well, you're taking me way back now. Um, I was raised by a French mother, and um, she was a fantastic cook. And um, I was intrigued by that when I, at a very young age. But what really got me going was uh, being raised in a small college town called State College in Pennsylvania, where the weather is a little rough in the winters, and uh, the paper the daily paper came around and looked for a paper root fella when I was 15 and um, the thought of delivering papers at 4 or 5 in the morning in that weather drove me to go to a restaurant in the town lie about my age I was 15 you could do that back then and um, I got a job as a pot washer which later led me to be uh, uh, promoted to dishwasher. That's how far down on the rung of the ladder at the very bottom is where I started. And it was through that restaurant that I worked through all the different stations throughout the next five or six years while I went to Penn State. And I got a degree in uh, food service and hotel administration. You know, I might uh, point out to uh, listeners um, that uh, starting off um Washing dishes um, is something that uh, a lot of uh, very prominent chefs, uh, from Tony Bourdain to um, Atlanta's own uh, Kevin Rothman, uh, to a number of chefs. You know, it it, it uh, it's not total happenstance, but oftentimes a restaurant job started there, and then let's pick it up from how you went from washing to cooking. Um, well, you know, you gain all kinds of skills and repetitive motion. And frankly, cooking is a lot of repetitive motion. Um, and it's also being trained by mentors and people that are 
crafty in their skills and that can share that with you and get you fired up to do different things. And this restaurant was kind of a one that allowed you to have some culinary artistic freedom, which was really fun at that age and that, that time. But what what happened? Did it, was a position open, or did they just say, "Alex, we need you to jump over oh, there"? Oh yeah, and it was it was next man up. You know, you're seeing you're hearing a lot about that in football right now. But uh, it's next man up kind of thing. If a guy leaves and the position opens, they take the guy who's maybe the best dishwasher or may have some promise, and they put him in the salad area. And you do that for a little while, and um, and you, you you master that craft, and then they move you on to the hotline. More repetition, more, more prepping, repetition, and more prepping. yeah. But also, it's you know more responsibility, and it's it's working all of those different stations that get you trained to become a chef, to become somebody who can actually go out and create more. And that's what the chef is, and that cha- that's a differentiator between the chef and the cook. Is uh, that that broader skill set? Um, now, was that there then the beginning of when you said, hey, this is something I could do for a while? That I mean, that inspired you? Yeah. Because you, when you started off as a cook, you weren't yet a chef. But yeah, uh, when did you uh, say to yourself, uh, hey, I, I, I could do this for a while? And maybe you didn't have a, um, a, a vision of being a chef, yeah. but that you thought you could cook professionally for a while? Yeah, you know, the the world of professional cooking, uh, we use the term chef fairly loosely. It's not a, uh, you know, uh, you can get a degree but not know what you're doing necessarily um, and not be very proficient at certain things. So it's a, it's kind of a loose term that we use. And I, I realized um, at a pretty young age that I didn't really know a lot coming out of college. And so I um, took a job in a uh, five-star resort in Scottsdale, Arizona, Marriott, Camelback Inn. Can I mention that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, so, um, and I was working with nothing but European and foreign chefs. Um, and I had this one French chef that uh, I worked with very, very closely, and he was uh, formerly the executive chef over the uh, for the admiral of the French army. So he was a really sharp guy. And uh, it was a little like boot camp working with him. You had to really be on your toes with him. And he drilled things into us and really, you know, you, you got taught from the ground up. And so that was the school of hard knocks. That's what we call industry or restaurant trained versus going to a culinary school necessarily. So, But you had uh, taken uh, courses in, in hospitality at uh, Penn, Penn State. State sure. And that is a, uh, a very recognized hospitality program, isn't it? It is. Yeah. It is. But it is not culinary-centric, okay? It's mainly looking at that. They, they do a great job training people for the industry in general, including hotels and restaurants um, and resorts and clubs. So it's a great curriculum. I can't talk highly enough about it. It was a great uh, cornerstone for me. Um, but I wanted to focus on the kitchen. For some reason, I wanted to go right back in the heart of the house. And so that's why I spent the time that I did working with these international chefs, Camelback in, and then I toured around the country and worked at different restaurants around the country, learning from others all along the way. You know, you, you mentioned that it was kind of a boot camp, camp scenario, and really, I, I think that's a common theme uh, also, among other uh, recognized uh, chefs, uh, that there was some period where they uh, uh, were uh, at a restaurant 
um, not so much in a program, even though I'm sure there are programs which are like that as well, but that they were uh, working in a, a kitchen where it was very much like a boot camp and the head chef was the uh, the general uh, and everyone, uh, and, and, and I guess that's depicted in a couple of recent movies where uh, you have the head chef uh issuing uh, orders and uh, yes sir and yes ma'am and and uh, and and it's boot camp like and you're put through uh, uh, some rigorous uh, uh, drills and operating under pressure to produce without a doubt I can tell you a story and a lot of my friends know this story um, my first five days uh, working in this kitchen I spent in a very large walk-in cooler where I was there to slice, dice, and chop 400 pounds of Spanish onions. That was my, you know, breakthrough. If you could do that for four, if I didn't tell you at the end of four days, they're going to let you out of there. At the end of four days, they brought you out, and they gave you, it was a privilege then to come in and be a breakfast cook to learn how to cook eggs at four in the morning after that. So as you can see, there were a lot of hurdles that they put out there for you to really test the mustard to see if you had it if you really could put in what they were looking for you know a lot of uh, professional programs have uh, a, a sort of a similar uh, putting you through the ringer and without letting you know that uh, you were, yeah that you weren't going to be there too long but if you endured uh, you got to uh, reach the next level and uh, sounds like you passed that test maybe not without a few tears oh boy it was red eye city for sure <laughs> okay, so um, let's talk a little bit about um, catering, because that's a big part of what you do. And uh, was it years uh, from that early experience at the uh, Camelback Inn in, in Scottsdale to uh, when you uh, became became a caterer? Uh, tell us a little bit about that Uh including a few years you spent uh, on a detour. Um, yeah, sure. Let's talk about that. You know, um, catering is a natural offshoot of working in a restaurant. And, um, you know, as you as you build clientele and you have friends and you cook for your friends and they have friends, and before you know it, your name gets out there. And um, I found myself um, working for and working with a lot of the um, elite, very wonderful people in Atlanta that um, – that like great food and they live in wonderful homes and so i started doing catering for them and it and it that became uh no pun intended word of mouth moved along and moved around and before you know it i'm catering for um several if not lots of people um and that's how it really goes you know you just have to do a great job every time you don't have it you don't you, you can't do it just 99 percent of the time you have to do it 100 percent of the time that's right. Uh, yeah, because uh, there won't be word of mouth. Uh, exactly the, the, well, yeah. the word of mouth will be that the guy's not consistent sure. or whatever. Sure. But, you know, um, when I moved to Atlanta, um, I was still in the restaurant business directly. And um, I was running here chasing after a girl. So, um, and, and, you know, 30 years later, and four children were still together, so evidently that wasn't a bad move. Oh, okay, yes, yeah. we didn't talk about that. So that she's she's awesome. Hopefully, she's not listening right now. Um, but uh, I did take a little detour, and I got involved in the uh, kind of the IT world of the hospitality industry. So I got involved in point of sale and 
in digital signage and some of these other fields that were um, were involved, kind of involved still with the hospitality world, but it was more in the technology sector. Um, I did that for about fifteen years. Yeah, I wonder if those uh, of that skill set probably serves you well in some capacity. It does I can uh, work a little bit on a keyboard and know my way around a computer just a little bit since we uh, used to build them for people. Yeah. Um, yeah, and actually, because um, we chatted uh, previously, uh, taking a circuitous route, even though you started off in a given field, um, uh, switching out of that field or at least uh, uh, immersing yourself in a field that provides some income and stability for a while is not unusual, and you kept your hand in catering, though. Is that right? Yeah, you know, um, as people called... Um, I still did parties for them, and that, of course, continued to grow as well. But I had a really interesting um, situation where I was volunteering as a culinary coach for a high school, and our high school was asked to be the mise en place, the behind-the-scenes people, for a big hospitality show called the Metropolitan Cooking Show. It was hosted by Paula Dean, Guy Fieri, Tyler Florence, all these great names, and our kids from this high school would go down and we would do all the chopping, slicing, and dicing so that when they went on stage, they didn't have to do that. Well, one of the chefs there, uh, not one of the top headliners, but one of the chefs couldn't make it. And so the the guy running the show behind the scenes, the chef behind the, the, behind the scenes came up to me and said, well, Alex, we're going to mic you up in about five minutes. You're going to go up and do this guy's show. Well, that was the first time I've ever been mic'd up. So got mic'd up, went up on the stage, did his show, and um, loved it. I'm going to stop you right at that point and have you pick up after we're taking a break. Uh, Speaking of uh, uh, programs, um, we're going to take a quick break. We're here with Chef Alex Riedhoff. We're going to be talking about cooking, training, uh, and some really fine programs that uh, Alex has uh, uh, created Uh, right after this break. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. 
45 years of experience is behind the most trusted name in auto transportation. Passport Transport, the first and finest today. That's why Passport Transport is the preferred auto transport for major auto manufacturers, concours, museums, tours, and collectors, and should be your choice from across the state to across the country. When you have the need, go to PassportTransport.com and enjoy the peace of mind referenced experience will give you. Passport Transport. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Business Hour. We're here with Chef Alex Riedhoff of the Riedhoff Hospitality uh, Group and also Gathering Industries, which we'll talk about a little in just a bit. Um, but I'm going to go back to where I interrupted you, and you were talking about the Metropolitan Cooking School, which would have been your first exposure. You were a coach, teacher, trainer, mentor, um, if that wasn't a good experience, I don't imagine you'd be doing much teaching training now. Uh, you could uh, with that not being a good experience, but that must have been a good experience. And then if you add to it what you were talking about right before the break, which is going on air, um, that must have laid the groundwork for back to the table um and some some measures so take us back to they said alex uh we're gonna mic you and take it away alex yeah so um it's a surprise to me and uh i got up on stage and uh it was comfortable in the fact that i knew the culinary side of it and all i had to do was talk through the processes that i was doing and i realized then that it was really not that hard to talk and cook at the same time because that's what i did every day anyway so we just got mic'd up, and um, once you get over that, that's that's how that goes. But it, it did segue into um, me getting in front of people and teaching people cooking. And I kind of uh, created a new moniker, called myself a chef-tainer. So I used chefing and um, as a form of entertainment. So I basically just got on stage or got in front of people and I showed them how to cook, worked with them on how to cook, and we did cooking classes, we did interactive classes, we did all kinds of things using cooking. Um, I did corporate um, events, team building events, utilizing cooking. It was through one of those that someone who was looking to produce a cooking show and had done before wanted to film me. And it was just the craziest thing. And um, so we created this show called Back to the Table, and we filmed 13 shows. And um, my understanding is it was presented to the uh, one of the big networks. And um, I don't have any tattoos, piercings, or a lot of drama, and I'm a little older than most. So we didn't make it on the network, but we might have made it to the network. So they're up on YouTube, and you can view them all up there if you want to but uh, that's the history of Back to the Table and the cooking show that I filmed it was a lot of fun, it was a completely different experience I mean talking to a camera is different than talking to people so that was a little difficult but I got over that too well, yeah, obviously you had uh, this other skill set besides cooking. In fact, I'm surprised there isn't a program called Talking and Cooking. 
mean, that's essentially characterizes what's what's uh, now all over the Food Network and uh, the yeah, Travel Channel. Right. You know, Tony Bourdain. Uh, well, actually, not so much cooking. That would that would be much more Julia Child and Paula Deen and uh, the Cajun cook uh, Justin. Was it Justin Martin? Uh, uh, yeah, Justin from the from New Orleans. Yes, the guy. Uh, come over here, you little pot, and let me yow yow, and then set you on fire, and we. I mean, he that guy. In fact, uh, uh, they might have started uh, at a younger age, but they weren't spring chickens. Uh, Julia and Justin, uh, uh, when they, you know, maybe no. today, maybe today's climate, they don't uh, need. Uh, uh, so much youth, uh, so maybe you should uh, Re- revisit that. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Um, so there were uh, interactive classes too. Yeah. Tell us yeah. about, uh, or are maybe interactive classes. And I do them when uh, when people request them, and it's always on the table if somebody uh, invites me into their home. So I go into these great homes, and oftentimes they have a huge island, and I'll put cutting boards and uh, professional knives all around that island. And I'll stand on one side of that island, and we'll have the recipes all in front of them. They take the recipes with them, and we'll actually create the food together. It's a fun, fun party to have. It's very, very different. And, you know, we get people engaged that want to be engaged. If they don't want to get involved, we don't force them. But um, I've had parties where we made five soups. I've made, I've had uh, gatherings where we've had uh, people that just wanted to make their whole meal and sit down and eat it. And so we all did that together and it was really, really fun. And they got, they got not just an experience, they got an education, they got some skills that they developed a little bit with. And as a result, um, it made for a pretty unique and interesting evening. You know, you mentioned earlier that you, you uh, got a, at some point, some introduction to some segment of uh, Atlanta, and it might have been even prior to Atlanta that you were catering in some uh, <clears throat> pretty nice homes. Uh, and in fact, I I met you at a really nice home. Uh, uh, this is a home that took five years to build. That says a lot, uh, and uh, was probably um, you know you pardon me if. Uh, Paul and Teresa Berry, but a very beautiful house, probably a $35 million house. It was a well-heeled group for the arts here in Sandy Springs. And uh, I could see, uh, I, I know that there were people that evening when I met you that if you said, hey, everyone, gather around in the kitchen, this around, uh, around this island, and we're going to make... A souffle or anything. You know, we're going to make uh, a chocolate fondue. And uh, they would just, there was a, a delightful entertainment that was going on. Uh, but uh, they would have been equally engaged, I think, if uh, all of a sudden we turned their attention to, to watching you uh, and and them, us, learning uh, to, to, to cook. So I, I can see, uh, in fact, I... I've never heard the, the term uh, chef tainer, uh, so you're you're credited with coining that, and, and yet that is exactly what Paula Deen and Julie Child and uh, Guy, the, Fieri, Guy Fieri and all those uh, people have have uh, contributed to is entertainment and, and cooking. Um, what about your culinary presentations that you do are that are not necessarily interactive, but are more presentation like that you do for? Uh, teens and adults and teens is probably critical because uh, critical in that 
I can't help but think that you may have inspired some teens to continue on, uh, and and who might uh, now uh, or in the future become chefs. You know, no question. Um, it's always good to catch people at an early age and uh, and just uh, dabble and see if their interest level is there. I know that um, interesting stat. If you want, if I can share with you, in um, 1965, the average housewife. And I say that specifically, uh, intentionally, spent um, four and a half hours making dinner. Now, this is pre-microwave, granted. But today, the average family collectively spends 18 to 19 minutes making dinner. And that's collectively everyone involved that would be involved. So, as you can see, the art of cooking from scratch has taken some serious twists and turns. And my question is, is it fresh? You know, are we just ingesting lots of different chemicals and things that preserve food? But, I, you know, that's a whole other conversation, maybe another visit with you. But that's where this comes from, is introducing young people to cooking early, cooking from scratch, cooking with great ingredients. And if you start with great ingredients, it's um, good likelihood that you can take it uphill from there. You know, we've been talking about how your experiences uh, and exposure uh, to food in a variety of uh, contexts uh, ha- have led um, to you becoming a, a professional uh, chef. I dare say, if we go back to what you shared with us early in the program, your mother, uh, being French, and you know, you talk about four and a half hours of, of preparation. Uh, the French are, uh, along with the Italians, uh, they got kind of go hand in hand. There's some evolution there, uh, just the age of the two cultures. Uh, but the uh, farm to table there, the fresh thing, the nutritious thing, uh, the the, the t- time in prep. I think that the average uh, French. Uh, man, but particularly mother, woman, who uh, ex- spent time exhaustively uh, preparing that that you must have, that must have been your earliest experience, just knowing that was going on in the kitchen. I don't question. Yeah, my mother did things from scratch, and it was fabulous, without a doubt. So, uh, corporate team building is also something, and uh, you know, I, I think uh, any listener who's heard you talk about uh, w- these other dimensions. Uh, of uh, interactive classes or or, or uh, the television programs or the chef entertainment. I mean, you could see how in a corporate uh, team building context, uh, context it, it, it it's a natural. Te- but tell us about what you've done uh, in, in terms of corporate team building. Well, we make cooking fun. And for a couple of companies, I've done these um, back when it was really hot, you know, to have these... Uh, you know, the cooking shows and so forth. Um, we would set up several tables and we would have teams competing with the other team to make dinner. And uh, what they didn't realize is that I had a set of chefs behind the scenes making dinner for them all, so they thought what they were making was actually they were going to eat. But we weren't going to quite allow that. There were too many hands involved. But that, that's part of what we did, and, of course, we... We kind of sat down and then grilled them a little bit about what they did or didn't do well and made it kind of fun, like an Iron Chef competition kind of thing. Um, and that was a great way to get people to team together, okay? Put them in their little adverse, uh, diverse situations, adverse and diverse, so that they can, 
you know, some people are good at, at cooking, like maybe the executive assistant, but yet the CEO wasn't. So they were on kind of a level playing field. So one was out of their comfort zone, the other one was in their comfort zone, and it was a reverse roles. That created a really interesting environment. Sure. If you ha- uh, recognize that your CEO is uh, a fish out of water, uh, you might have to tell them to... Uh, um, tactfully, uh, would would you mind uh, cutting those carrots? Uh, you know, uh, co- or, co- or coached by his executive assistant? Yeah, right? co- coach do that. Yeah, well, right, uh, and, and yeah. so yeah, you're right. The whole team dynamic uh, uh, would be uh, uh, totally different than in the uh, office uh, or the business context. Sure. Um, we're going to take another break here, and then when you come back, we're going to uh, focus more on uh, how you've taken your culinary skills uh, to a a whole new level, uh, and uh, we're going to be talking about gathering industries. We're here with Chef Alex Riedhoff. We've been talking about cooking and teaching, coaching, training, uh, and chef attainment, and we'll be back to talk more about uh, all those different dimensions of what he does right after this break. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business, or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Business Hour. We're here with Chef Alex Riethoff. And in the first half of the program, we were talking about uh, Alex Alex's early exposure uh, to, to food and to cooking and the path that he took to becoming a professional chef and the things that he was learning and uh, how he acquired uh, a skill set that went beyond cooking to cooking, teaching cooking, rather, and training and coaching uh, and, and in some sense, mentoring. I'm sure some of those teens uh, were were being mentored uh, a little bit beyond cooking. Um, and I'm certain that 
you are mentoring uh, some of the folks that you're working with now because somewhere along the way you uh, created gathering industries and gathering industries is a very uh, influential uh, organization particularly in the lives of the people that you are training to become uh, professional uh, cooks if not chefs uh, these are folks who are often overlooked because they're homeless uh, they're people with some uh, criminal uh, backgrounds that spend some time uh, incarcerated uh, with uh, maybe substance abuse uh, in their backgrounds and they're pretty much on a path uh, or, or well on a path to recovery because most of those folks have been through programs before you begin working with them but it's a segment that otherwise has lots of hurdles um hurdles that keep them from becoming pro- productive members of society because they simply uh, f- uh, fell out the wagon and were on the wrong track and you're helping them in a very specific way get back uh, on track with a skill set or skill sets plural that that make them employable so you know uh, with that setup tell us about how you conceived of it or maybe we should have you dive right into telling us what the program is and then along the way we'll talk about how you conceived of it but tell us um uh you know what's the 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 60 second elevator uh speech that you give when someone says well what's gathering industries all about yeah um the gathering industries was um founded under the principles of giving people a second chance um, it's remarkable how many people out there in this world, um, you know, it's one decision, it's one mad move, it's one piece of hard luck, it's one piece of falling. Um, one mortgage some, payment lot one more, missed. Exactly. Yeah. One little thing like that can send people in a tailspin that are just like you and I, and um, they deserve a second chance. They need a second chance. Um and Lord knows I've had several second chances. Mine happen to be health-related. So I'm extremely fortunate to be here today on a couple of different fronts. And I um, I felt, and that's what this is all about, giving people a second chance to get back up on their feet, to get their lives with, with dignity and with hope back on track. So that's pretty much our 30-second elevator speech. How did this all start and formulate? Um, I was um, I was consulting for a group called the Ignatius House on Riverside Drive here in Atlanta, and uh, it's a it's a Jesuit retreat center which has a silent retreat, and uh, consequently the food that you are served at this place is a focal point when you're on a silent retreat, and so they wanted to upgrade their food and do a great thing with their food. I happened to come across. Um, I was brought together with a young chef who had dealt with homelessness and substance and um, all kinds of other things that took him off the trail. And we gave him an opportunity. He took this opportunity to work at Ignatius House to elevate their food. Because he was given a second chance, he provided second chances to others via the Gateway in Atlanta, which is a place for homeless reside and that also Atlanta mission 
where homeless get a second chance and get a chance to get put back on their feet. So we gave them opportunities. He gave them opportunities there. Uh, through mentoring him, uh, we were able to um, basically conceive the idea of how we wanted to go about um, doing this on a grander scale, doing this more, doing more of this for people. We felt the need was so great in Atlanta. There's between seven and 10,000 people homeless in Atlanta, if not all of Georgia every day and um, a lot of them deserve a second chance you know, need one no question about it and and uh, you know it's 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 a model that uh, a lot of uh, industry segments uh, uh, probably not so uh, easily undertaken uh, except in pardon the pun small bites it, in the IT industry. But certainly you can break down cooking into some uh, digestible skill sets. And, and so other industries, I think, could, could learn a great deal from you in terms of uh, helping people reintegrate themselves back into society of productive members. But you actually uh, uh, went and took a look and some other programs around the country because there are similar programs. We just didn't have anything quite like it here in Atlanta. Yeah. Tell us about what you experienced and how you, you drew from some of these other programs. Sure. Lake Dawson and I, who's the gentleman I'm speaking of, we decided that um, we didn't have an, we don't have an opportunity for failure because the folks that we're going to deal with have dealt with failure and people failing them all along the way. So we decided to do a little homework. We traveled out to Homeboy Industries in L.A., um, and Father Greg Boyles has been doing this for 30-plus years and was doing a fantastic program out there. Um, we got to witness what they were doing. We went to Metropolitan Ministries in Tampa, who's doing a fantastic job helping four to 6,000 people a day that are homeless in Tampa. We went to King's Kitchen in um, Charlotte that uh, feed and mentor and actually hire and train people off the street. So um, we got to see what these other folks were doing and how they were going about it, and we were able to take pieces and parts of what they do and try to implement them in what we were doing here in Atlanta. We started out thinking we were going to be a restaurant, and we, we quickly retreated to become a box lunch program. And so what we offer is a, a corporate box lunch, which is uh, a fantastic. We use the finest ingredients we can find. We use local ingredients wherever we can. And um, we provide a gourmet lunch at reasonable prices, and that's how our folks get a chance and opportunity to work. We hire them from day one. We um, orientate them and tell them that we provide them with an imaginary toolbox. And throughout their days and days with and weeks with us, we will fill that imaginary toolbox with all kinds of tools, be it skills, be it training, be it our whole framework by which we speak, which is through integrity. Um, we are a faith-based um, system where we we talk in those words and terminology. We keep that all encompassed. Tell us a little bit about that, because I alluded to it, that um, you work with folks that may have uh, uh, been through periods of substance abuse or incarceration and Yet, you're not helping them overcome those problems. Uh, you know, that would be a mammoth task uh, along with uh, the 
uh, culinary and, and hospitality skills, but there are uh, faith-based uh, organizations uh, here in Atlanta, the Atlanta Mission, and, and also you've, you've engaged some restaurants as partners. We'll talk about that a little bit. But uh, the folks that you're working with have been through some of those programs, so the next stage acquiring skills that makes them employable employable and and productive is is where you pick up pick it pick it up um do you is there a a a process of selection to to, as to who uh, uh, becomes a part of uh gathering industries yeah we we have a partnership a tremendous partnership with um um working with different organizations so that they understand what we're looking at what we're looking for and uh the people that we're looking for really want and desire and um it's really in their desire for a second chance we can't take on everyone that wants to walk through the door to look for a job we're not a jobs program we're actually a training program where we can actually bring people back up on their feet so we're fairly selective in that regard that we have to have people that really desire to get out of where they were and move on to the next step. So, in, in essence, there's a there's a screening uh, by the organizations uh, like the Atlanta Mission, you know, that are uh, directing some folks to you that they think have crossed over that threshold. They've been very helpful in that. Yes, but you said that you don't. You aren't a jobs program, so to speak. But you do actually employ some folks, like those box lunches. We do uh, are, are prepared by folks that uh, are, are are actually paid. Is that right? They are paid. Um, they're paid from day one. It's not a lot. It's not something to really live on, but it gives them something to work with. We don't pay them cash. We pay them on a debit card, so they are not walking around with cash flowing out of their pocket. Um, and that way, they that it helps the whole process. So that the, uh, we, it also helps in the in their hope and their dignity and their ability to manage their lives. So um, by not having cash, they can manage things better because they really have to they have to swipe to pay that kind of thing. Um, those are some of the things that we've learned the hard way along the way. Mm-hmm. Is that yeah. cash it does not help. And, and also, are the is the program uh, structured that it has have a distinct beginning and end? Do you have a graduation, so to speak? No, that's so. a great question, and we get that a lot. We get that question a lot. No, there is no distinct end. There's always a beginning, and that's when they start with us. That's when we talk about the orientation. We talk about respect, reliability, restraint, and these are the kinds of things that we talk with in our integrity. And, and, and we keep that all encompassed, so that becomes our language. Um, reliability is a huge issue with us, so we want to keep them coming back every day, and um, that that keeps them all on track. The, there's no graduation; everything's individual, so it's all dependent on that individual and when they want to leave us, when they want to take off. You know, you uh, you could have focused entirely on uh, culinary skills and skipped over the integrity part. Or that whole aspect to making them uh, a a productive, caring, or, or or at least a person with a more a stronger moral backbone, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you didn't, and we're going to take a break, and we're going to talk about why you've incorporated that aspect. Uh, and essentially, I would imagine it's because it's 
in you. Uh, but we're going to be talking more with uh, Chef Alex Riedhoff about gathering industries and helping folks uh, to become more productive when, in fact, they uh, uh, got off the path to productivity and uh, he's helping them to be employable, which is a, a really important aspect of uh, gathering industries because you're taking them from uh, one end of the spectrum and helping them move to the other end of the spectrum of productivity. We'll be back with Alex right after this break. This is Dr. George from Peachtree ENT Center. We've won patient care awards and have the highest patient recommendations because we believe in practicing medicine the old-fashioned way. Practicing good medicine is based in listening to the patient and making a care plan that is individual. The best medical care is given when there is a strong doctor-patient relationship built on mutual trust and respect. At Peachtree ENT Center, we believe in taking care of the whole patient because healing is more than writing a prescription. Whether you have problems hearing, have frequent throat or sinus infections, from the time you call our office and speak to a real person, you will be treated as an individual and not as an ailment. During your visit, you will not be rushed and all your questions will be answered. When possible, natural treatments will be recommended to fix the problem. If surgery is recommended, cost-effective, minimally invasive treatment for snoring, sleep apnea, or sinus problems will be offered because Peachtree ENT Center is where patient care counts. This is Lawyer Liz. Join me each week as we discuss drones, the Internet of Things, and all the technology in between. It's Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, Wednesdays at 2. Field books. There is a difference, and the difference is made in the USA by family-owned and operated Bogside Publishing in New Hampshire. For over 38 years, the family business has produced the finest, most durable, rain-resistant, and most affordable field books in the land surveying and engineering industry. Demand the best from your supplier, Bogside Publishing Field Books. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Business Hour. We're here with Chef Alex Riedhoff. And in the early part of the program, we were talking about uh, the skills that uh, he cultivated to becoming a chef and of hospitality uh, skills learned. And now we're we're talking about his organization, GatheringIndustries.org. And by the way, you know, we've been talking about uh, the catering business. Uh, That's on the side of ReedhoffHospitality.com. And now we're talking about the nonprofit organization, GatheringIndustries.org. If you want to look those up while we're uh, still on the program, you can learn more about it or, uh, or go to them later. But we're focusing on Gathering Industries which is helping individuals to acquire skill sets related to the culinary and hospitality industry that makes them employable and helps them to become uh, productive members of society. And you've used the word integrity a couple of times. uh, And a lot of programs that are teaching skill sets choose not to tread on in that area of of, of sort of – moral fiber but but you do so tell us uh, why you do that um well it started with uh, my partner in crime with this which is amber west and um, she's our director of operations she and i um went and took this program called the integrity project and it was um 
we actually employed them to help train our folks uh, through Omar Howard, and he uh, has a nonprofit called Freedom is a Choice. He's a fantastic individual, speaks directly, and uh, hits it dead, dead on and point on. He also works with Heartbound Ministries, which is a prison ministry that we also work and have a close relationship with. Um, so we took this course, and we realized that if we made this our language, so whenever there's a breach of integrity, we break it down. Um, you know, if we if we make a bad decision or we come close to that legal line where we go below the legal line, our 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 um, options are jail or death or you know any kind of incarceration. So, what we always want to do is keep people way above the legal line, and we want to keep that integrity high. And so, whenever there's a decision made, we put it in the context of where does it fall in that integrity. In, the, in that whole moral fiber kind of thing. So we want to build that. That's part of the toolbox <clears throat> that we feel that I spoke of earlier. You know, uh, a lot of times when people talk about at-risk youth uh, that are also, uh, that have uh, gotten off the path, uh, the straight and narrow path, and have uh, are perhaps about to embark in a life of crime or substance abuse or something that, that takes them off that path. And people say, well, you know, it's their parents that, that need to help them out. Well, yes, it is, but oftentimes that just doesn't happen. The reality is that doesn't happen. As adults, your parents aren't even in the picture. Um, so in some sense, it, it, it's, it's really a, a good thing to provide just at least a small measure, if not a large dose of uh, integrity uh, training uh, to go with the culinary skills. What about when it comes time to apply for a job? Do you do you cross over to helping them a little bit with, um, you know, uh, great question. Applying for a job. Great question. Um, you know, some of the folks that we've worked with, um, or many of them, have gone on. Okay, so we've we've touched over 32 people, and um, I have one gentleman working with us over 11 months, and I've got some guys that have been there for weeks, as well as some with several months, and some of them come back to us as well, which we welcome. Um, the difficulty with this is that um, we can train them only so far to be self-sufficient. Um, that is our goal, is to get them to be self-sufficient. And that requires a job. That requires an apartment, a place to live. It doesn't require a car, but it requires those kinds of things in order to be self-sufficient. And they don't have to work in the hospitality industry to become self-sufficient. They can take the same tools of integrity and the different tools that we provide in their toolbox and the training that we provide and use them in other industries which is perfectly fine by us. We just want them to be self-sufficient. That's our final goal. And, and you, you know, uh, not, not to harp on this in terms of uh, turning someone who's been on a path uh, for self-destruction, if you will, or a life of crime or substance abuse. You know, when you take someone, you help to make them more productive. And, and granted, you said there were programs prior to your program that, that helped them to, to, to break out of the substance abuse cycle or uh, a life of crime. But helping them become productive, you know, just economic development-wise for a community. You have fewer criminals 
you have fewer people who are substance abusive, so there are fewer people in the hospitals. I mean, really, if not for uh, it's kind of a trickle up. Yes, it is, and if and if 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 not for reasons of. Uh, uh, altruism. Uh, you probably should think about what it means to a community to to shift people toward uh, the range of productivity that that your program helps with. And I and I would imagine among some folks who have been through the program that you've probably heard some really cool stories of success. Anything you can share with us? Um, yeah, we've had some uh, some lovely success stories. Um, one of our guys has gone on to work. Um, in a New York deli, and so he's completely self-sufficient and doing fine. We keep track of several people that we're with, actually almost all of them, just to find out how and where they are and what they're doing. Unfortunately, we don't have 100% success stories. We have some some rough ones that um, have fell off the screen, and we don't really know what's going on with them. Um, I do want to mention, if I can, that we try to provide an environment that is full of affirmation. We want to catch them doing things right. We want to let them know when things aren't going well, but we want to do it through affirmation, through caring, through love, and that that is something that could be missing in these people's lives. All right, and that's what we want to make sure that they want to come work with us. They want to learn more. They want to get engaged more in what we're doing, and that helps us get people into that self-sufficient phase where they can be on their own and do well. And know they always have us to come back to. We're always there for them. I hear from guys that we've worked with frequently. And um, there's no telling the need for folks in the hospitality industry is great because I get calls every week from people looking for dishwashers, utility people, um, anybody with any skills with a knife. Um, the need's great out there. So... We have this box lunch program, and this box lunch program, if companies order our box lunch, please give us a try. That'll give us an opportunity to get more and more people engaged in what we're doing so that we can get more people into our system and in working with us so that we can provide more possible job opportunities to people within the hospitality industry or others. You know, you mentioned caring, and, and uh, the thing about helping people acquire skills and doing it uh, where uh, the program, the, the very existence of the program and, and the programs prior to your program at, at a place like the Atlanta Mission or one of the programs that is a, a, a faith-based or non-faith-based program that helps people to get on their feet and then with your program, uh, helping them with a, the next level of uh, preparation to become uh, employable. And inherent to the programs is, is a certain amount of caring. And through the years, I've had uh, opportunity to work with some at-risk risk, uh, folks, both youth, adolescents, and adults. And although you don't want to appear sometime to be uh, namby-pamby, uh, loving, caring with uh, some uh, folks, uh, they understood, uh, or I tried to make it clear that that part of what was going on was people caring about yeah. them, and that makes a difference because a lot of us take it for granted. We have uh, husbands, wives, significant others, partners, uh, children, relatives, fam- uh, neighbors, or, or live in very caring, rich communities. 
people that are homeless oftentimes don't have a friend in the world, literally, not just out there. figuratively. Right. Yeah. So I would imagine that from that perspective, uh, yeah, it makes a difference. Uh, people want to know that you care. They don't really care to know necessarily how much you know. That's right. Old adage. Uh, yes. Um, you know, um, we... Um, by the way, speaking of old adage, the in the promo for this program, we said, uh, or I, you know, we had uh, give a man a fish, you feed him for a day; teach a man to fish, you feed him for a lifetime; provide men and women with culinary and hospitality skills, and you can change many lives. I, I, I really think that's what you're doing. Any plans for expansion? Yeah, I'd love to expand. Um, it's all based on need and uh, and business and volume, so. We need a little extra support on that front. Um, By the way, how can people help? They can help. Um, well, the companies out there uh, can order our box lunch, go online to, to gatheringindustries.org, which is key. We have our menu online, and you can order from us. That would be huge to help us. Um, also, we need donations. We're a nonprofit. We're a 501c3, and um, you can also on the same website hit the donate button and help us out greatly there. Uh, that helps us gives us resources to expand and grow. We are in dire need of hiring a chef that understands the needs of those that we are serving. So uh, if there's anybody out there that wants to work with us that understands the needs of those, please uh, give me a ring. Let me know. Well, I know from firsthand experience uh, that Reedhoff uh, Hospitality makes great food, uh, <laughs> which I got to taste uh, at that uh, recent event. Uh, and. I know that Gathering Industries is doing some really valuable work, and I want to thank you for uh, that valuable work and for taking the time to come on the Business Hour. Thanks so much. Appreciate it, Ron. You've been listening to the Business Hour here at America's Web Radio. We're on Fridays from 10 to 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you on the Internet and the radio next week. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.